We turn now to uh, page 1076 uh, in the Church Bible. Page 1076 in the Church Bible. Uh, if you're using your own Bible, it's John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And here in this passage, Jesus picks up on that picture already hinted at in the Old Testament where he, the Lord Jesus, is a shepherd uh, and those whom he saves are like his sheep. And so he now explains to people of his day uh, what he meant uh, by that. John chapter 10 verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not know a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech or this illustration but they did not understand what he was telling them therefore Jesus said again I tell you the truth I am the gate for the sheep all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them I am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hard hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hard hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father know me, knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. 
This command I received from my father. At these words the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the feast of dedication. That's a Jewish religious feast at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone them. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said, You are the gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, Even though you do not believe me, believe in the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Amen. Let us call upon the Lord. Let us stand to pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for the Bible, the word of God that we hold in our hands. We thank you that in it we have two parts, and the two parts agree. The Old Testament points us forward to the Christ who would come, and in it 
we find the Christ referred to and hinted at. We thank you, Lord God, that in the New Testament, the Christ is revealed. He has set forth the one who is eternal God, the one who became man at Bethlehem when he was born of the Virgin Mary. We thank you, Almighty God, that you sent none other and none less than your eternal Son into this world to seek and to save lost sinners like us. We thank you for the life that he lived on this earth. We thank you for the ministry that he exercised for the three years or thereabouts. We thank you that he was proclaiming continually that the kingdom of God has come in him. That now the Father was revealing himself in the Son, in the works of the Son, in the works and in the words of the Son. And we thank you that here he speaks to these Jews, his own people, those who should have received him, those who should have recognized him. And he speaks to them of the works and the words that show and confirm that he is God, come down from heaven. We pray this evening that as we meet together, and as we think now about this picture that Jesus used to portray himself, the shepherd, and the picture that he used to portray those who are Christians, that they are sheep, that you would give us understanding of this picture, that we would learn something of its beauty, and that our hearts would be drawn out to the shepherd, to love him, to hear his voice, and to follow him. For that is why Jesus came to be the shepherd, to call out men and women, boys and girls, to save them, and that they would follow him as his sheep and with him as their shepherd. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10 is one of the best known passages of the Bible. It breathes simplicity and beauty. And in it, Jesus uses the simple and the familiar picture of a shepherd and his sheep. And he does that in order to explain to his hearers what it means to be a Christian. In Palestine, and that's where Jesus lived, what we today would refer to as Israel, a shepherd and a sheep was an everyday sight. And even today, still today, if you holiday in that area, you will see the shepherd out in the open countryside where there's not a lot of grass, perhaps fairly barren, 
with a flock of a dozen, twenty, or at a stretch, thirty sheep. You don't find fields wired and filled with sheep as you do here. And the shepherd in the east is with the sheep continually. He's with the sheep uh, during the day uh, and he leads them out so that they find grass to eat in that arid, uh, desert-like countryside. But he also leads them to places where they can find water to drink. And of course those two things are crucial to any animal and to any uh, being to survive. Water uh, and food. But then in the east also, the sheep had enemies. And there were dangers. We read here in John chapter 10 of the wolf coming to attack the sheep. In the Old Testament, uh, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, the songs that we sing in church, uh, he spoke about killing the lion and the bear. Doing so with his bare hands as they came to attack the sheep. So the sheep were always vulnerable. They were in danger. And they needed a shepherd not only to provide them with uh, grass and water, but also to protect them from the wild animals. Now tonight our calendar text for the month of November is John chapter 10 verses 27 and 28. Page 1077 in the Church Bible. Where we come to the very heart of this picture of the shepherd and the sheep. Of Jesus and his people whom he saves. And what it is that he does for men and women and boys and girls like you and me as the shepherd. Here's what he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I know them, and they shall never perish. That sums up the relationship of Jesus that he has and wants to have with men and women like you and me. And from this verse, our theme tonight is known and kept by Jesus. And if you uh, have received an order of service, which I hope you have, on the rear side, you will find that we want to break that title down then into two separate points. Known by Jesus, because he says in this verse, I know them. And then, kept by Jesus, because he says in this verse, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. See, kept by Jesus. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone known by Jesus. A Christian is someone who is kept 
by Jesus through life, through death and brought into heaven, uh, into the presence, the immediate presence of God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Let's think about it then under two headings, known by Jesus. I know them. I know them. Now the question is, who does Jesus know? Who is the them? I know them. And of course there are two answers to that question. Who does Jesus know? Or there are two levels at which that question can be answered. As the Son of God, Jesus knows all men, all women, all boys and girls. There's not a person in the world that has existed in the past, that will exist in the future, or exists now, whom Jesus does not know. This is God's world. And every person that lives has been made by God and they exist by God's power and by his knowledge. So tonight, Jesus knows every person that, is, that will ever exist. He does that as God. And tonight he knows you. He knows you in that sense. Every last one of you. And every detail about you. He knows your circumstances. Whether they are easy or difficult. He knows your age. Whether you are a child or a senior citizen. He knows your lifestyle. The things you do. The things that you pursue. He knows your sins. He knows the moment of your death. He knows your innermost thoughts. No one else in this room knows what you're thinking. But Jesus, as God, does. He knows the words you speak privately. That you don't want anybody else to hear apart from maybe a spouse or a very close friend. You see, this is his infinite knowledge as God. His infinite knowledge as God. Now, when Jesus here declares, I know them, he's not speaking of his infinite knowledge as God at this point. Because the word them in the phrase, I know them, refers back to the first part of the verse. Look at the first words in the verse. My sheep, I know them. I know my sheep. And he's, Jesus is now speaking of knowing some people out of the large mass of humanity. And he knows some people a smaller group, as it were, 
in the way that the shepherd knows his sheep. Now, if you were a shepherd with 10 or 20 or 30 sheep, spending every day with them and looking after them at night as well, uh, on a roster basis, then you would know your sheep. A good stockman knows his livestock, whether it's cattle or whether it's sheep, and they'll be able to tell you uh, the pedigree of them, they'll be able to tell you the traits of them, they'll be able to tell you their likes and their dislikes, they'll be able to tell you the sheep that is always forging ahead, the sheep that is lingering behind, the sheep that is peeing off. You see, this is the shepherd knowing a small group of sheep. A smaller group of sheep. And Jesus says, this is how I know some men, some women, some boys, some girls, in a very personal one-to-one way. I know them. In this verse is the equivalent of, I love them. I love them. And here now, this is his intimate knowledge as Saviour. It's not his infinite knowledge as God, but now his intimate knowledge as Saviour. What does Jesus mean by this phrase, I know them? Well, as a saviour, Jesus brings individuals like you and me into his flock. He brings us from the larger mass of people to be his special people, to be his treasured people, to go to heaven with them when we die. And you'll see in our passage how he compares himself to a gate and a door. A gate and a door to God and to heaven. Now a gate or a door, what does it do? It allows you to pass into a place or a building. Usually when we come here on a Sabbath morning, the gates are open. And we have access. But there have been at least two occasions when the gates have been locked when we've arrived at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we had no access until the caretaker was contacted and came and opened the gates. And you see, because of your sin and my sin, we have no access to God. We have no way into his presence. No way to heaven unless someone opens the locked gate, the closed door to heaven. And Jesus says, I am that gate. I am the door. I open the way to God, the way to heaven. Now, how does he do that? What did it involve for him to do that? We know, of course, that he came to earth. But what was it in particular that he did when he was on this earth that opens the gate to heaven? Was it his miracles? 
Was it his words? Was it his good deeds? Was it the life he lived without sin? Well, that was part of it. But look at what he focuses on in verse 11. And he says this three times in this passage. Here's the most significant thing. The absolutely essential thing that Jesus had to do to open heaven to the sinner. Verse 11. The good shepherd, Jesus, lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. I lay down my life for the sheep. And you see earlier he draws a contrast between other religious teachers and other religious leaders. And it's still a contrast that's true today between Christianity and every other world religion. Because at the heart of Christianity is the person of Jesus who laid down his sinless life for sin-filled lives to open up heaven to us. You go to Islam, you go to Buddhism, you go to any other religion that you care to mention, and you will not find at the heart of those religions a sinless man who laid down his sinless life for sin-filled people like you and me. You will find a prophet, yes, so-called, who will teach you certain things and who will say, if you do this and do that, then you will get to heaven. But you see, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says it is absolutely essential that a sinless life is laid down, a sinless human life, in order to open up the gate of heaven. I know them. That's what Jesus says. I know my sheep. I love them. I love my sheep. As Jesus hung on the cross, and that's what he's referring to here, when he talks about laying down his life, he's talking about going to the cross and becoming a sacrifice to turn away God's wrath from sin and sinners. As he hung on the cross, Jesus knew every single person for whom he died. And tonight he knows every single person in this room for whom he died. Now how does he gather his sheep? How does he gather his people to himself? Those for whom he laid down his life. How does he gather uh, people in Carrick Fergus tonight into his flock? How does he make himself known to the person who's not yet his follower, not yet a Christian? Well, look at verse 3. And we're told he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What does that mean? 
Well, it means as you come to church and you're not yet a Christian. What does Jesus do? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, how does Jesus bring you into his flock? How does he make you his sheep? Well, he invites you in the reading of his word, the Bible that we did earlier. And he invites you now in the preaching of his word. And he invites you through the reading and the preaching of his word to come to him. He said, I laid down my life to deal with your sin, to take away your sin. I am the shepherd. And he invites you to be like a sheep. And the sheep, when the shepherd calls, the sheep responds. The sheep listens. The sheep begins to follow. Notice in verse 27 how it begins. My sheep listen to my voice or they hear my voice and they follow me. Are you in church tonight? And you're not a Christian? Perhaps you've been in church many times before. How do you become a Christian? How do you become part of the flock of Jesus? You do so by listening and responding to the things that you hear and that we all hear together. You are to obey the call. You are to go to Jesus and confess your sin to him. And you are to trust in him and to follow him. Notice how he emphasized to these Jews again and again. He challenged them. He said, you do not believe. He said, you've seen lots of things that I've done. You've heard lots of things that I've said. And you've had all the evidence that I am from God. And that I am the good shepherd. And that I am the saviour. But you haven't believed. <coughs> and you see, for you and I to become the sheep, we have to believe. We have to obey his voice. His call. And follow. Known by Jesus. I know them. His intimate knowledge as Saviour. I love them. Laying down his life for sinners in order that we might be saved as we follow him. That's what it means to be known by Jesus. But then much more briefly this evening, I want to touch on the other part of this verse. And that is kept by Jesus. Known by Jesus and kept by Jesus. Look at verse 28 now. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. The person who hears and listens to the voice of Jesus and responds to the call of Jesus as the Bible is read and preached and who takes it to the heart, repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus, they undergo a dramatic 
change. They undergo an irreversible change. They are saved, Jesus says. They are rescued from their sin and its penalty. And the penalty of sin is hell. If it's not dealt with in our lives, the penalty is hell. Anguish, gnashing of teeth, suffering for all eternity. That's what Jesus saves from. But we're also saved not only from the penalty of sin, hell, but from its power. So that now we begin to live life in a way that reflects Jesus. Begins to look, yes, just a little bit like Jesus. And begins to look more and more like him in his character and his conduct. Look at how Jesus puts it in verse 9. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Verse 10. Will have life to the full. So salvation. Becoming a sheep in the flock of Jesus. Becoming a Christian. It's not a touch up. Some of us. Um, when we've painted our walls. We always make sure we have half a point pot of paint left. And we put it away safely. And sometimes. They'll get a dark. Yes, Margaret, we never use it. That's quite right. Nine times out of ten. But it's there. Um, and there's a black mark in the wall. Or maybe we've had to have a repair done on the wall. Very quickly afterwards, there'll be an inverse pipe or something. And we're not going to paint the whole room again. And yes, there is the exceptional time. We get out the paint pot. And what do we do? We do a touch-up. We do a touch-up. Not the whole room. But we just touch in the parts that have become damaged. Well, you see, the Christian, to become a Christian, it's not a touch-up. It's not where God comes alongside and says, well, hi, there's a few black marks here, a few uh, shabby spots there, and I need to touch those in so that your life begins to reflect me. No, it's a transformation. It's like sometimes you see a house on the market for sale. And... Uh, the estate agent will is something like uh, this house will attract uh, the buyer who sees its potential uh, and who has an eye for an investment uh, and for um, renovation. And maybe you've had an interest in the house and you go and you have a look at it uh, and you think, no, it's not for me. And then the house is sold. And uh, maybe for some reason you're passing by that way at a later point, or maybe um, you've had the opportunity to be in the house and you walk in and you say, this does not look like the house I walked around when it was on the market. It is just transformed. And you see, the whole place has been changed uh, and uh, walls have been knocked down, new things have been put in place uh, and it is like a new build. And you see, that's what it is. That's what salvation is. It's not a touch-up. It's a transformation. It's where Christ dismantles my life, as it were, to its very heart 
in its very centre. And then he begins, he takes away the sin and he begins to build the life again. So that somebody who hasn't seen my life or your life, hopefully for years, will say, what a transformation has happened in that person's life. So it's not, it's not dramatic. It's not powerful. And it's also that irreversible. When somebody has transformed uh, one of those houses, and when we got married, we uh, bought a two up, two down, terraced house, no bathroom, and all of those sort of things, and we transformed it. Well, you can never turn it back again to what it was. And you see, that's the point that Jesus is making now here in the second half of this verse. Those whom he knows, those whom he saves, having laid down his life for them, it's a transformation that is irreversible. It can't be lost. It can't be taken from us. As it were, the clock can't be turned back so that uh, somehow we, at a later point, lose what we had. Look at what he says in verse 8. I give, sorry, verse 28. They, uh, I give them eternal life. That's looking uh, into eternity. Uh, it's the quality, it's the life of heaven. We have it now and we'll have it in its fullness in heaven. And look at what he says. They shall never perish. They'll never lose it. This eternal life. Those whom Christ saves, he also keeps. It is an awful teaching. An awful teaching. Which says to people, which says to someone, you can be saved tonight and lost tomorrow. Or next week. Or next year. What kind of a saviour is that? What kind of a saviour would that be? Doesn't tie in, does it? With God. And with God's works. No, they shall never perish. Sometimes people say to me, I would like to become a Christian. But I know I couldn't keep it up. And you see, they've missed the whole point. It's not about me or you keeping it up. It's not about you or me keeping ourselves. If it depended upon me, yes, I would be a Christian one second and I would not be a Christian the next second. Because so fickle am I in my heart and in my commitment to Christ. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's about what he does. And what he has done. And so when he saves you. He will keep you. Now the Bible is very realistic. And it tells us about people who think they're saved. And who profess to be saved. And they don't keep it up. But the fact is, they never were saved in the first place. But those who are saved by Christ, those of whom he says, 
I know them. He also says, they shall never perish. And what a wonderful thing that is. Because you see, to become a Christian and to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, don't think for one moment that it's an easy road to walk. It isn't. In fact, it's the most difficult road to walk on this earth. It's a narrow path. It's a narrow gate. And the road that the non-Christians walk in is broad. And it accepts everything and everyone. That's your opinion. And this is my opinion. But you see, that's not the Christian way. Because we as Christians, we follow Christ's opinion. And it's a difficult road to walk. And there are many challenges. Let me just mention, in closing, a number. Unemployment. That's a challenge to the faith of a Christian, isn't it? What about sickness when it comes into our lives? Perhaps when we're young and vigorous and with responsibilities for a family and here comes sickness. Or what about death? Because death does come unexpectedly. Death does come suddenly into Christian families as well. What happens then? Does our faith melt away? No, then we are kept by Jesus. Through the challenges. Through the difficulties. And then, of course, there's not only the personal circumstances, but then there are the tribulations. There's the persecution that is out there in the world. When you say, I'm following Jesus, you're walking in the narrow way, and you can be sure the world will not like that. And we hear in our news often of Christians who are being persecuted because they say that homosexuality is wrong. As the Bible says, it is wrong. But you see, we're kept through persecution. And then, of course, there's that sin that remains within me. Yes, until Christ has the whole person put together again. There's this sin that remains within me. And it would very quickly, if it was only reliant on me, it would extinguish the life that is within me. Because it manifests itself in so many ways. To the point that I have to cry out at times, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you see, Jesus will. Because he laid down his life. And he will keep me and enable me to overcome that sinful nature and that sin that remains. And then there are the onslaughts of the devil. The temptations, the fiery darts that he shoots into our minds, the doubts, the fears, what if, and so on. And again, you see, we're kept by Jesus through them. There's a beautiful verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, and Paul's talking about all these things that challenge the faith of a Christian. And he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is 
in Christ Jesus. See, nothing, nothing, nothing. Because we're saved by Jesus, known by him, and also kept by him. And so tonight, if you're sitting here thinking, I couldn't keep it up, forget about that. Forget about it. It's not you keeping it up. It's Christ keeping you up the rest of your life until he brings you to heaven itself. What a wonderful salvation known by Jesus and kept by Jesus. If you're not a Christian tonight, I say to you, this is the Jesus we set before you. He laid down his life for sinners like you. Hear his voice. Follow him. Look to him and he will save you and he will keep you forever. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for the Lord Jesus who laid down his life. We thank you that it is by the laying down of his life, taking that punishment for sin in his own body, that he's paid the price for the sins of his people, his sheep. And so tonight we pray that we might know that he is the good shepherd. And we pray that those who already are following him would know that not only are they known by him, but they're also kept by him tonight. Pray for any who are going through difficult circumstances and challenging experiences, that in the midst of those, they would know that not even these things can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, for those tonight who are not yet part of your flock, but tonight have heard the call of the Saviour, enable them to respond to that call, to hear his voice and to follow him and to forsake everything else in order to be his sheep and to know that they too will be kept by him and they shall never, ever perish. In Jesus' name, Amen. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest upon the people of God, now and forevermore. Amen.